0: Live from inside John Lithgow's piano, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kevin, as always. I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Hello there. Mackenzie, this week, what a momentous occasion. Last couple weeks, I thought the show may end.
1: (laughs) I was losing my mind slowly. I was (laughs) losing my mind, and somehow I, I needed these apes to save me, bring me back.
0: That's right. Well, Caesar has freed the both of us from our <laughs> Apely prison. And now this week at the bottom of the hour we'll be talking about the twenty eleven requel rise of the Planet of the Apes.
1: It's also a prequel. Am I am I yeah, incorrect it's in that? Like a Is it's, because doesn't I have to assume I I feel like my what I vaguely know about the original film? The burden that, that they kind of start with the planet of the apes, the titular planet of the apes is already sort of established and humans are just like spare sparse. So I feel like the fact that we're seeing it is is new right to the series.
0: And we'll get into it. But the status as a direct prequel is made like pretty clear in a prominent Easter egg. We'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: see, that's what I need you for. I don't know yeah, the Easter see, eggs. Yeah,
0: got to go to the lore.
1: This is why I got my calf by my side.
0: That's right. Or, or should I say, the previs motion capture result of Andy Circus puppeteering me, and Jay Baruchel is doing a raspy voice. In a-
1: hey, it, literally, Andy Circus as a monkey returns to the show. That's right. After, after King Kong. So. That's right. James
0: Franco returns to the show from My Father. My Spider-Man <laughs> killed my father.
1: Also a scientist he kind of character. I mean, he becomes a scientist-y. Mary. That was part of my jokey
0: review, yeah. See, these are the thematic through lines. This is the Austin <laughs> Danger
1: Podcast canon. Monkeys and James Franco as a scientist.
0: Think of it as Austin Powers 1 was the first movie that ever came out. And that is the Austin Powers, Austin Danger Podcast canon. Mm-hmm, 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 Only mm-hmm. these movies exist. <laughs> I love it. Speaking of movies that don't technically exist by that logic, Mackenzie, you finally watched five nights at Freddy's today.
1: I finally sat my ass down and watched five nights at Freddy's. Indeed. Um, it's hard. I'm trying to think of how to discuss it without spoiling it, I guess, yeah, because a lot of my issues with the film, um, I think come from just some of the structure, the structural, uh, choices that were made and, uh, you know, I know I'm being a fake fan here, right? I'm diving in after a nine-hour video and pretending like I know everything. But, hey, I watched that nine-hour video, so now I have opinions. And, uh, yeah, I did. I just didn't really love a lot of the uh, changes to the lore they made. I, I felt it kind of didn't necessarily do anything interesting. Like, I don't mind it if it's, like, gonna... If they're gonna do something interesting with it, I guess. I just, I just felt like... Um, yeah, I don't know. I... I, I as weird as it is, it made me want to watch the nine-hour video again. Like, I'm, I'm more compelled, I think, by the story that's there in the games, albeit a a vague and mysterious story that doesn't have all of its questions answered, right? It's still sort of up in the air. I, I found that much more interesting than, than the movie. I just felt a little... Um, I, I wrote a very long review about it. I, I will link it in the show notes if people want to know my specific feelings about it, I guess, my specific issues. But, yeah, I ultimately felt like it was... Um, it it wasn't very exciting I kind of uh I guess without spoiling I can say my review I, I wrote you know it wasn't kind of scary enough to get newbies and horror fans um but I also felt like it changed so much of the story that I I'm surprised it's landing with hardcore fans and so I was kind of confused at the end of the day who the movie was for I guess but you seemed to like it better than I did Kev well I mean the thing is is that
0: I watch a lot of like boring modern slashers that are like this good. Mm, This is like a decent one of those. But then also on top of that, I just had so much fun with the lore and the crap, you know, the MatPat cameos, the spring Bonnie and the opening credits. And then partially through the film, my new thing is obnoxious meta theories and MatPat 11 is in this film. So theories abound, Mm -hmm. right? But like, I was like, you know, in Five Nights at Freddy's, there's a haunted house company called Fazbear's Frights who have taken the events of Five Nights at Freddy's and turned it into a haunted house. So what's to say that this version of the story isn't just a sanitized version put out by Fazbear's Frights and that there's some future Five Nights at Freddy's game or book or fortune cookie, or musical, or puppet show that will prove that out via old man consequences or a license plate or some other insane
1: method. Well, see, it's, it's funny you say that because like um, if you watch the nine-hour video, like, or you play all the games, like those, those are your two options, um, the timeline skips around a lot. And yeah. the generally ab- ab- approved of timeline is that the first game which I think the first this film is kind of basing itself mostly on is the kind of last game in the actual timeline you know right. there's a lot of stuff that becomes before that and I guess I was missing that that idea of this history uh, and these these ghosts that have come before where we're meeting Mike Schmidt uh and it's interesting that you're talking about the Fazbear bear thing because then that does come after the first game so that's when the timeline then begins to continue and that would have even been a more interesting movie if it's like ah these uh, this is a haunted house based on this like fucked up thing that happened all these years ago and then getting to maybe explore, Ooh, what was that? And then how those ghosts still exist. You know, I I just feel like there was a lot like a lot of different directions they could have gone in with the story. And I felt like this was just a very boring way. And again, I, I don't know how to say it without spoiling. Like I texted you something that I thought would have been like a totally little fix or a little shift in the, in the character motivations and just the choices they made with Mike and his motivations to have the job and his connection to freddy's and i think that like not too my own horn i think my suggestion like might have worked better like if it would have actually made it more connected to the games and maybe connected him more to um to the to, to the story it just felt like the stakes felt so non-existent to me like there, this isn't spoiling because this is like the beginning of the movie that's like your sister's going to be taken away by your mean aunt. And then I guess, spoiler, but she doesn't really matter in the end. Like the, the stakes with that whole storyline are just pretty much inconsequential. So like, I just kind of felt like, uh, yeah, it was just a little boring. I felt like it's a, there's such a dense lore and such an interesting tone that the game strikes. And I just don't think it translated to the screen very well in this film.
0: And Not maybe part yet. of
1: that is because it was in development hell and it went through like 50 scripts and multiple directors and that's just what's gonna happen. But um and I agree, Kev, you're about to say not yet. I'm I'm open to a sequel changing my mind. I'm open to a sequel building on this and maybe making it better for me. Yeah.
0: It's the kind of thing where you could explain it away, or you can lean further into it, or you could make this movie timeline its own thing. Five Nights at Freddy's is the kind of franchise that will say, This was all a dream. This minigame meant that thing this stuff was all a video game in the universe. Like Scott, our, our dear friend is no stranger to using different media and manipulating different media to tell a larger part of the big story. So that's where my, I'm trying to figure out what the phrase is and it's not coming to me. But it's not like ha- raises my hockles, right? But like that's where my attention is focused. Is like not this as the experience, because I agree with you. This is like a two-star movie. It's kind of boring. It's pretty bland. For the you only get one shot to make one Five Nights at Freddy's movie and Blumhouse Blumhoused it and did like a fine job. It's kind of bland movie. But then the MPs of that, of like some boring movie trying to sell the iconography of freddy's
1: it'd be cool if it pulls out and goes meta i but but, but, five Nights of Freddy's* also when you watch about the history and again i I should say it's uh the the youtuber's good idea bad idea gibi uh just so people can actually look it up because genuinely if you have any interest in the lore like it feels like a necessary watch and it really enriched my viewing of the film and just like enriched my understanding of the games and I, I again, I like can't stop thinking about. It. I really, really deeply enjoyed it. Um, I completely forgot what I was going to say, but at least I plugged that YouTuber. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. We were Who talking knows? about the
0: meta. I was saying like, oh, he watch what? the video. You know, he
1: talks wh- about the 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 games feel like he was putting them together. Like it was that shot of like the cartoon character putting down the train tracks as he's going down the train. Like that's how it feels like these games were made sometimes, and so. I, I I'm wary to think there's a lot of pre planning going on with this film, but hey, maybe there is. I don't know, but it, but we both can agree. Not to do it. The big villain reveal, that part rips. The the it's it's and it, but I also think that only rips if you know who that is. Does it make sense? Like I wonder if that ending matters to people who don't know who that is. Uh, our, our dear friend KK wrote a review about how like they're building up to this character and then it's just some guy. And I'm like, but if you know who it is, it's not just some guy, but like, I, I wonder, if, cause I loved that part. That was like the one part I would say I loved, but I'm curious if that even plays to people who don't know who he is. I feel like
0: that's even more of a flag mm-hmm. of like, you know, your dad doesn't know who that is, but this is huge to you. Shouldn't Mm. that mean something in terms of like, and this is the thing. If you're not familiar with the lore, this is the mind space. The lore gets you into Mm -hmm. of like, why didn't they explain why this is so important? Why is the rest of the movie so boring? And then here's this crazy idea that only makes sense to me. We'll see.
1: I know, I I know like
0: no one should buy that by the way, because there's going to be a sequel and the sequel is going to be just really, again, another boring, nothing happening movie. And I'm going to look like a jerk, but like (laughs) in this moment, it feels all on purpose to me.
1: I, again, I'm going to let them surprise me. I'm ready. Uh, I have, gosh, yeah, I have a thought, but I can't say it without spoiling. So maybe we'll talk offline, but like, yeah, like that character, redacted character at the end, uh, there is a character who dies near the end who in the lore of the game is technically already dead in the way that they die in this film. And so I'm like, right. if this was always intended to be a prequel, then why use other characters that were already in the game? Why not save them for future movies? That's another thing too. Like uh, why did this have to be Mike Schmidt, who is the protagonist of FNAF one? Why couldn't this just been a different person and this just be a kind of prequel? I don't know. Um, at this point I'm rambling. Uh I, you know, I recommend my review if you're actually interested in like the specific lore things that I was compelled by and were missing in the film, but uh overall I'm glad it exists and I'm honestly glad it led me to watching that video cuz like I do kind of consider myself a fan of the lore now and like I'm watching all of Gibby's videos that he puts out. I'm watching his FNAF videos now and like I'm excited to hear what he says about the new game that's coming out. There's a new uh there's a new game coming out already yeah did you know about this the trailer just dropped it's um it's a sequel to um (sighs) shit it's a sequel to one of the more extra games um it's not 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 sister location it's uh now not now hiring what's it called help wanted yes it was, was like it's something like that it's a sequel to help wanted i believe is coming out help wanted Two. So the trailer like literally dropped like today, basically, or two days ago as you we're recording this. Wow. So, Matt Pat
0: just dropped a 45 minute stream an hour ago.
1: Do I need to get into Matt Pat? Like what's going no. on? <laughs> I no, mean, it's very all funny because in, in the nine hour video, uh, he skewers a lot of Matt Pat's uh theories, which I find entertaining. But but Matt Pat's little wink is very funny. Um yeah. I, I'm glad it exists. I I'm glad the, there are fans who love it. And I love that for them. Uh, and I I will be seated for the second one. That's all I can say. Like, I think you and I, people have heard us over the last couple of weeks become changed people in regards to Five Nights at Freddy's. I mean, we talk about old man consequences and the hippo all the time in our DMs. It, it's
0: it's mostly me talking about. See, hey, and I the love thing both those sucks. characters, though. Like, the thing that really sucks is that all of the stuff that I love about Five Nights at Freddy's, which is true about any franchise that I love. You really got to dig deep to find these guys. <laughs> Old Man Consequences is the Easter egg of an Easter eggs Easter
1: egg. And I love him.
0: Of course. We all love Old I Man I love the
1: idea that he might be Henry, which is a person you don't know unless you watch a nine-hour video. <laughs> well, Kev, other than Five Nights at Freddy's, I didn't super watch a lot. Um, we both watched Birdman and that's I right. believe as you're hearing this episode you can listen to us talking on Real Latinos about Birdman with our buds. It's probably a very long episode because we recorded for a very long time. That's right.
0: That's what happened Well, that's what happens. See, this is why Austin Ninja podcast. The things that you don't hear. <laughs> the ship tightening on this podcast is unbelievable.
1: Also five people on a pod. That's a lot of people on a pod. That's A lot of people. Um, but we had a great time. I don't want to speak for you, but I think we had a good, really good time. And no, like, we spoiler did, Wonderful word, time. Me and Kev both openly love Birdman, so it's just a it's a big love fest for a really great movie. So if you like Birdman, it's necessary listening. And if you're not already listening to Real Latinos, what are you doing?
0: Go check out Real Latinos. I also haven't been watching a ton of things. Like I, I got back at a TV big time. Finished Fargo season two. I like Ooh, TV. Nice. I'm I love TV. I was not wrong about eight-hour movies. I find that so very annoying, but I loved Fargo, despite something very silly. If you've <laughs> seen the second season of Fargo, you know. I started watching the new Scott Pilgrim thing on Netflix, which is is fun, but I'm not sure if it's my thing yet
1: okay, I was listening to the Letterboxd show today about with the creator the showrunners or the writers some you know one of the creators of the show and I was interested by what they were saying they changed and, and and how they kind of went in a different direction uh, than the source material which in terms of how they told the story which which piqued my interest. I might check it out too
0: yeah, it is not a retelling or a reboot. it is a different story with these characters who are all the movie cast.
1: Oh, that's so fun
0: yeah. And uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's one of those gimmicks where it feels like a spoiler to tell you that. But also, I certainly was not about to watch this if it were just going to be a retelling of the the movie. movie. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Rocking a hard play what, situation on that.
1: That's what I assumed it was, and so that's why I was like, yeah, I could probably take or leave it. But only now that I know it's different, do, am I interested in watching it? So I do think it's a good advertising tactic to tell people it's not just the movie animated
0: yeah there is a surprise the the element of surprise though
1: i don't know maybe i'll check it out
0: who am i (laughs) i mean i could talk about mank to people i feel like everybody just shut the podcast off and threw their phones in the river (laughs) Um,
1: why does mank have such a bad rep that's uh it's because people i'll tell you what it
0: is it's because of Fight Club, Seven, The Social Network, Gone Girl, even The Killer, his most recent film. It's because people want David Fincher to make... This is such a hot take. (gasps) Um, Listen, you could like or dislike movies on their own merit just fine. But David Fincher fans, set him up for failure so often. It's crazy to me. They have pigeonholed this man. He, he can't try anything else. Like Benjamin Button, which I admit is a strange film. People were like, what the hell is this? And Mank, which is a movie about like basically a quiet, di- like a series of quiet dinners in the 1930s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not what they wanted. And that I think, well, listen, people can like and dislike Mank on its own merits. Fine. But in general, in the grand scheme of movie nerd Twitter stuff, the worst of the worst, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, um, they're just mad it's not like he didn't take the two years to do Gone Girl. He doesn't make a new movie every day, right? So it has to be (laughs) people hope that it is on the level of a Zodiac. Mm. But Human beings are only capable of so many of those. And a lot of it is dumb luck anyway.
1: It also was a 2020 movie. I feel like every movie that came out in 2020 kind of struggled. Oh, yeah.
0: Much of the Blank Check episode is Griffin Newman being like, I hated that I couldn't see this in the theater and movies. You know, he had a
1: hard time. I mean, gosh, yeah. Even just clicking, like, you know, when you go on Letterboxd, you can click the year and see what else came out that year. Like, I mean it's a it's a it's like a slow year there's some movies i love from this year but i think that like movies just generally obviously had a really really rough go of it uh in 2020
0: some of the best movies of this decade mank included uh, another netflix movie defy bloods probably spike lee included uh minari. just got totally buried by the pandemic minari as well yeah absolutely some of the best movies of this decade and indeed this century um, are gonna have to be revived in five years for people <laughs> to really have discovered them like I feel like that was such a lost year.
1: Tenet. I feel like Tenet was the biggest uh, victim, one of the biggest victims of 2020.
0: Let me tell you, somebody put me in front of a 70 millimeter or IMAX or 70 millimeter IMAX projection of Tenet. And I will tell you that I was wrong, probably.
1: Yeah, I think I would like it more on the big screen. I agree. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer rocked my ass. I think I would like Tenet more if it was on the big screen.
0: I have not been able to sit through Inception at home,
1: but it went down like
0: water on the big screen over the summer. Food for thought. But yeah, I don't know, man. I like (laughs) Mank. Mank's fine. I've been to the theater, if we could talk about a musical theater minute. Yeah, please. I saw How to Dance in Ohio, which um, was cute and very nice.
1: I got a lot of great texts from you that night.
0: Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> that was a very certain kind of night, but it's fun. I love to see new musicals, especially when I'm charmed by them, mm-hmm. which these days is more difficult than other times in my life, <laughs> but that's it. It's been a busy, busy week.
1: Well, speaking of a busy, busy week...
0: What does it all mean, Basil? Starting December 1st, 2023, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery will be available on Tubi. Tubi? Tubi!
1: Tubi Gang, rise.
0: Tubi Army, this is your time. This is your chance to tell them what you want. And you could do that if you want. So, starting December 1st that is the only piece of Austin news. It is still a bit of a wasteland. (laughs) My favorite movie blog formal, formerly, uh, slash film stooped to a new low and posted, which order do you watch the Austin powers movies in?
1: How is this a question? How is this even a question? and i i say
0: i don't mean to like come down on people i understand the business right but what i want to know is do the numbers show that that was worth doing like does austin powers do well enough in the seo to encourage that cuz it's it can't just be me google news searching on wednesday night
1: I think I just maybe thought of another piece of Austin news, possibly, but I need you to verify. Okay. Uh, Are the Blank Check guys, aren't they doing Austin Powers on their Patreon right now?
0: Yes, that's right. Shout out to a couple of people who pointed this out to us this week. The Blank Check guys are doing the Austin Powers movies as a part of their audio commentary series. No invite from them uh thanks guys must have got lost in the mail no worries (laughs) i guess
1: one day one day
0: also somebody somebody said i think they're doing love guru which that would be a fascinating commentary i might have to
1: subscribe to that patreon
0: (laughs) the day comedy truly died forever yes yikes Yikeroonies. So yeah, I mean blank check, people love blank check. And we do too.
1: Yeah, about to say. They're so they're, they're definitely an inspiration for us, I would say.
0: But again, uh, guess the invite just got lost in the mail. That's totally fine. Those guys are invited here anytime. I guess. But until <laughs> then, that is Austin News.
1: Until we get invited on to blank check, all we have is is our 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 apes to keep us warm.
0: that's right it is time now to go to the far off distant land of San Francisco 12 years ago so Mackenzie please bring us into I mean it's not James Franco's world (laughs) I don't want to be in James Franco's world I'll be clear Yes, but why don't you bring us into the world of the rise of the planet of the apes
1: In San Francisco, a genetics chemist named Will is testing a viral-based drug on chimpanzees that he intends to move to human testing soon in order to cure Alzheimer's. This is an important goal for him as his father Charles is slowly fading away from the degenerative disease. His best test subject, who is nicknamed Bright Eyes, is to be brought in front of a committee to prove the serum is ready for human consumption, but she turns violent against the scientists, destroying the lab and leading to her own death at the hands of security officers. The scientist team quickly learns she was protecting her newly born child, who they were unaware of. Will takes in the young ape and through the years names him Caesar and develops a fatherly relationship with him. He also, unbeknownst to his lab, takes some of the serum to test on his father, who takes to it perfectly. The two men and their ape settle into life together, two and a half men style. Eventually Caesar becomes old enough to question his origins. Will tells him about his mother, and the trust between them begins to weaken, as does Charles' health. One day, during a particularly bad loss of lucidity, Charles angers the neighbor and is attacked, to which Caesar protects his grandfather figure with violence right back, biting the attacker's finger off. Caesar is taken to animal control and housed with other apes. At first, he's not accepted, but as his ire and pain grows deeper due to his abusive and negligent conditions, he begins to unionize the apes together to form a strong bond. Meanwhile, while Will is developing a new version of the drug, one of his assistants is inadvertently exposed to it and grows deathly ill, dying just a few days later. For apes, though, the gas has the intended goal of creating hyper-intellect and strength. Caesar is able to escape the shelter, steal some of the new serum from Will's home, and returns to give it to his new ape army, infusing them with strength they've never had before. They finally begin their uprising and take, fight, and take the fight to the streets of San Francisco. After fighting their way through bullets and helicopters on the Golden Gate Bridge, they make home in the forest. Will follows them, attempting to save Caesar, but ultimately realizes Caesar is exactly where he needs to be, and they make peace with us. The angry neighbor from earlier was innocuously sneezed on by the sick employee of Will's, and what we're left with is seeing similar symptoms that indicate death will come for him, too. Good thing, because he's getting on a flight to spread disease to humans all around the world. Little does he know that he's contributing to the rise of the planet of the apes.
0: That part may be not aged so good.
1: COVID-19, COVID-19. All of the
0: all of the pandemic stuff in this whole trilogy did not go down well.
1: <laughs> is it weird? Is it weirdly prescient uh, for our oh, time? Oh, yeah.
0: In war, in the last one, especially.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's pretty jinkies. Crazy. Jinky winkies. So, Kev, you've seen this series. Is Have you only seen this once? Like, how many times have you watched this film? And also, like, what's your history with just the series in general?
0: So I had always known Planet of the Apes, but I had never seen any of them when this came out. I was working at, the, at a movie theater at the time, and I don't remember if we had a screening for this, but I was definitely at the midnight opening of it. And I loved it. I still really like it. I think it's, it's engaging on its own terms in a way that like, yes, okay, you can see there's some really heavy-handed franchise stuff in here that is not great particularly Tom Felton gets to say the Charlton Heston stuff that sucks.
1: Oh, I but like know
0: we'll get there, but it's like setting up its own thing, building off of the originals and living on its own terms. It's like everything a studio could want from this requel idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, no, I loved it. I flipped. And then I watched the original Planet of the Apes and then took years to watch the other ones thanks to Bat and Spider's Hot Ape Summer a couple years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I finally watched the old series, which I'm just as excited to get to as I believe they all link. So whoa, there you have it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Planet of the Apes is, I think, one of those things that is so just culturally known. You know what I mean? Like, I've I've always known of the series and the basic shtick of like apes rule the world like that kind of i've, I've been aware of it because it's just a th- thing that is culturally known i don't even know how to describe that but i think you all hopefully know what i'm talking about it's just a thing you kind of are aware of if you exist in culture long enough it's 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 referenced in so many other forms of media it's 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 discussed a lot the name is iconic like it's just a thing i uh, i'm aware of um I think we, you know, I did some stuff got left on the cutting room floor at the end of last week, but we might've mentioned the Tim Burton planet of the apes. I I think I have a vague memory of watching that on television once when I was young. And I think I always thought that was planet of the apes. I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it, except for I sometimes think of Helena bottoms, Carter's like Bob, like her monkey Bob, the the wig they have that woman in is, uh, I do think very, very humorous. Um, But I think, yeah, I think that that was, like, always my association with Planet of the Apes because I think I was probably just on TV and I just happened to see it when I was little. But I don't remember anything about it. Um, So this, I would consider this my first, like, Planet of the Apes movie. Um, And, yeah, not to to spoil the ending, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was really cool. I kind of immediately wanted to watch the rest of this series. And I'm kind of interested in watching the original series, too. And I'm really interested... In um, hearing from you, the Easter eggs, and like what you meant by the Tom Felton thing. Like I'm really interested in your point of view as someone who has seen the rest of the series because I love stuff like that. Um, So yeah, this was kind of my first like actual dive into this series. Uh, and I, I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought it was really fun. It
0: was great to come back to after having been through all the rest
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: coming back to the beginning and seeing like... Again, like being able to spot that this was doing this on its own terms without erasing anything that happens afterward or stuff like the rocket launch, which is basically the rocket from Planet of the Apes or those lines that Tom Felton, like anybody who's seen the original will know, like, get your paws off me, you damn dirty ape, which he says um, does not sound like a line that that character would ever say. It feels oddly unnatural, doesn't it?
1: But we had to have a say
0: it like it would be like if if they did. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It it would be like if they did. um, Indiana Jones and he doesn't catch his hat under the door or Mm. doesn't use his whip or something like it's so ingrained in. And then he also gets to say it's a madhouse, which is one of the Heston's like one of Heston's best lines. And it's buried in the mix. I only heard it because I was listening on my headphones today watching the movie.
1: I I saw it in the the captions, and I thought that moment was really cool, the way the camera's pulling out and you kind of... I I thought Felton was deeply bad in this movie, um, but that was a cool moment of him doing that and the camera pulling out. Um, Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a Harry Potter girly, so I have full confidence saying I don't think he's a particularly good actor. And what accent is this man attempting to do? Because it is truly sounds (laughs) like he's trying to do an American accent, but it is so bad. There was like a line where he said more than five words and it was so like almost comically bad that he could not do an American accent. I was like, what are you doing here, man?
0: Go on, get. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) See what you get get back Did you love uh Logan Roy's identical twin uh bastard brother?
1: <laughs> they sound yeah, he's just kind of it's just Brian Cox is just here. And he kind of just leaves inconsequentially. He's like, he's just around to be Logan Roy, and he had to go to the succession set. But I will say I don't I don't mean to start with like a major negative. Um I just thought Tom Felton was like comically dumb in this. But I gotta say the best part of the movie is Caesar. What a character what a performance. I know it's yeah. mostly CG, but it's, it's the goat. It's Andy Serkis. Um, to me, I could kind of give less of a shit about the, um, the human aspect. And I understand that it's important because we need to see like the serum that creates the monkeys, but like, and James Franco, you know, he's not an actor that particularly does anything for me. Um, I saw that Tobey Maguire was originally supposed to be that character. And I think Tobey Maguire would have brought a much more innate like ability to the role than james franco does um it's hard not to view him with the context in which we know him now which i know was not the context people were watching this film in in 2011 but i just think he has a punchable face like i would have much rather have like a guy i really could care about in that role um so like i think that the human stuff is important but the stuff that compels me and kept me locked in is caesar and andy circus i can't believe how um, compelled i was by this character and his story is what like is what's makes me want to be like fuck do i want to watch the rest of these movies cuz i want to see him he's the best part he is the heart and i i was blown away by how compelled i was by caesar and his story
0: oh absolutely i mean it's like you know you're left asking yourself the humans are so stupid and ineffective and so like dumb so dumb they're all so dumb that you're like is this is is this a movie Not to be like this about every movie. I promise I'm not like this about every movie. Just this and Five Nights at Freddy's. Is this movie propaganda made by the apes to tell the story of of Caesar, the first ape?
1: Oh my gosh. Every movie is a meta movie now.
0: Every movie now is a meta movie (laughs) because the humans are so dumb. But I agree. I think it's also a testament to performance capture, which there's a lot of performance capture going on in this time uh, Tintin would come out that Christmas, which is all motion capture. Mm. And I don't think that the stuff here has aged as well as Tintin, but it's never really about the graphics or the quality of graphics. It's about their ability to capture Andy Circus and the other members of the company's performance. Mm-hmm. And that's key. So, like while textures here and there around his eyes are like, oh my God. They're that way because it's 12 years old and um while that texture looks weird it's capturing a certain bent brow shape or some other menace like tiny nuance that gives us the whole story it's it's an incredible step up from king kong which is when we last saw circus
1: well it's like funny because i think you know i <laughs> i always find cg of full bodies to be a little discombobulating like i think about when like it's a spider-man movie most spider-man movies do this when they're like really swinging it's like a cg full body i find it to look goofy pretty much all the time and so you know by nature these monkeys are all cg bodies pretty much and um i was a little nervous like in the first part where even though i like the shot of caesar kind of swinging around the house i was like I was like okay it's hard to to suspend your disbelief there and not be just so hyper aware that it's CG but honestly by the end of the movie I wasn't bothered like I it kind of fully went away for me like by the end of the movie they felt real that shot of him touching the gorilla and the 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 finger grazing against the lip and you feel the you hear the sound of his of Caesar's palm tapping against the leathery chest you know what I mean? Like if it, it, I could still tell it was CG, but it wasn't to a distracting point at all. Like I wasn't even bothered by the eyes. If anything, I thought they were beautifully expressive. Like I said, after he kills Tom Felton, you like watch him have a moment of, oh, I I I just took a life. It's really the first time Caesar kills someone, and presumably he will kill again, right? And it's uh, I I was like so enamored by the animation and the CG and the performance. I mean, it's obviously a, a testament to Andy Serkis's ability to act through that and commit. But yeah, you're right. This, the team that worked on King Kong and they worked on Gollum from what I read, like this team who really knows how to bring these emotions to life. And um, yeah, I thought I would be more bothered by the CG. And then by the end of the movie, it just totally faded away. I I was fully in it. Like it, it wasn't bothering me at all. Mm hmm and he was just like my pookie like i just wanted him to win i like as my little baby right there like god the moment when he draws his window in his cell right this to him this symbol of of looking out into freedom like that was so emotional for me and then to now see that symbol at the end presumably be the symbol of like the apes i guess because they they painted it on i guess one of them had spray paint on them i guess and they painted it on that sign right like i think that was so evocative i loved the way that these there were these uh mirrored moments the asking permission the 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 climbing all these all these things these these great bookends but yeah i mean i just uh I'm, i'm gonna ramble at this point but yeah i was caesar was it for me like he is what made this movie for me that character i thought was just so compelling and um I was taking a peek at the future films and the top review for war. I believe the one that came out most recently outside of the new one, the top review on letterbox is just Caesar really is just one of the greatest characters ever. And so I I am so excited to continue to watch Caesar's story because, uh, just a stunning performance and a beautifully, um, I don't know, just a empath, a character you just feel so much empathy for. And you, you watch this, this, this creature, um, I don't know, learn. <laughs> it's just sad to watch him lose his faith in humanity and, and realize he's been lied to. And it's just, yeah, it's really compelling.
0: The magic of the movie is the way that it's able to compel you to be like, yeah, rip his face off Caesar, get yeah. his ass like versus think about uh Nope. Right. <laughs> Which is a movie where uh, a monkey is the scariest thing you've ever seen in your life now here it's a goofy cartoon and it's all ridiculous cg stuff but you're also so your heartstrings are sore they've been pulled so hard by this movie by the time it's time for the ape revolution to begin
1: I, I literally wrote in my notes, I'm rooting for them. Like, destroy the systems that oppress you, babies. Use the bars as your weapons. I fucking love that. Like, it's, it's, you know, I think our society has also changed a lot since 2011 and the oh, way yeah. that we... I was telling Rachel, like, I feel so hopeless with a lot of what's going on in the world right now, not to bring all of that into the, into the room, but like I sure. frequently just cry nowadays. Cause I feel so overwhelmed and sad with the state of the world. But what gives me hope is that in the last few years, I think I've noticed our culture and our society move towards using our voices and realizing that with, with numbers we are powerful together you know what i mean these the 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 marches happening all across our country right now to to appeal for human life and protest genocide like this our voices are powerful and so i think because of that i am yeah i'm compelled by the monkeys i'm like yes rise against the people who have hurt you i'm fucking down for this like they deserve it they they locked you in cages they kept you from freedom they made you into pets that you were never meant to be rise like i was so like like i the the, the it's a heavy-handed metaphor but him seeing the leash and realizing that's not what i want anymore like Fuck yeah. Also James Franco being like, if you're mistreating animals, I'll shut this place down. I want to be like, dude, your whole job is mistreating animals. You're literally animal testing. You are not you are just as bad as these people you claim can to we, hate.
0: Can like, we talk about the way he tells Caesar about his mom? Which is he brings him to the lab and says, uh, here's where your mom was brutally murdered. Uh
1: have a great day. What do you expect him to feel? Like. Oh yeah, this this ape with heightened intelligence surely won't process that. Like, get the fuck out of here, dude! Like, yeah, I don't know how you could watch this movie and not be rooting for the apes. I really don't. Which is I'm that like, unique? Like is that unique the to the series? Because aren't the the hero the humans normally the heroes? Well, the that's kind of the idea. Okay, and then the
0: series pivots, and we we get a story in the third and fourth Planet of the Apes sequels. We kind of get more of the ape story. Um, I will say much of the first act of Planet of the Apes is like, here, you're the monkey and you go in a cage and Mm, we have mm -hmm, society. mm -hmm. and You know, the differences right between ape society and people society. Mm. But it's not like this. Right. You don't feel like you're not rallying around Dr. Zayas or anybody.
1: Hmm. What were you going to say about the, uh, the lady before I, uh, yeah, you know, have to do
0: so we have, we have Frida Pinto as woman. I think she does a great job with it. Women, one of the most unsung, uh, one of the more aggravating jobs to get as an actress is woman. Yes. She stands around, she goes tee hee hee. She falls in love with the lead somehow, some way. There's a strong, meat, cute, you know, woman. Woman is sitting there and she's taking all of this in pretty well, considering <laughs> it's been a year of dating James Franco and nowhere has like my pet No, didn't it <laughs> I jump exposed f- my pet to the think stink Did- and now he's a genius a year ago.
1: Okay, no, I thought that was five years. I thought that was after the 5 years. No, year job. it was
0: five years. That's even worse. Yeah, That's you're right. That's even worse
1: because I literally wrote down, <laughs> how have you been dating this man for five years and you're only just now finding out about the whole fucking shit with Caesar? And then she, in that moment, has um, objections to it. In that moment, she's like, this is was maybe not a good thing you did. This is actually kind of bad. And then, this ape
0: wears a shirt. My <laughs> sister in Christ.
1: And then, like, she immediately is just lets that go. Like, I thought there was gonna be a tension there, and she's like, "This isn't good." And then she lets it go, and then yeah, she goes back to just being woman who has literally nothing to do, uh, and serves basically no purpose other than to be a woman. Painfully underdeveloped God. character. <laughs>
0: Woman, one of the great Austin Danger podcast characters ever, but one of the least best characters (laughs) in film. I resent. On behalf, you know, on behalf and with the interest of all actresses in mind, I detest woman.
1: Here's the thing. I think Felicity Shagwell is much more interesting than any woman. Like, at least Austin gave a little bit of backstory. (laughs) Like, Frida Pinto just shows up. All we know is she's a vet. And then she immediately wants to fuck James Franco. And then we skip five years and it's like, oh, I've been lying to you for five years, but I don't care. I still love you. I'm going to get arrested. And then we never see her again. Like it's yeah.
0: Fook, you had more character development (laughs) than this woman.
1: Oh my God. She had a sister. We at least knew some backstory.
0: Oh good. Okay. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have
0: some big popcorn, but also I'm trying to think of, oh, I've been seeing a lot of John Lithgow lately. I watched the pilot of The Crown and he's a hilarious Winston Churchill. I remember I was texting you Mm -hmm. and it was just Lithgow, Lithgow, Lithgow. Oh my God. And the next night I got the spin.
1: You were texting me about that and I was high off my ass watching the morning show. So I was receiving texts from you, and then I was sending completely unrelated texts about the morning show as I was just completely blasted. And that was, I, yeah, that was, that was a really good uh, night in our DMs for me, I think. All this
0: to say, Lithgow here, I have a very sensitive note. Okay. Um, when he is having an Alzheimer's episode in this film, yes, he cho- chose to put on a face. Um, and it looked like, does he have to look like a child when he's having his problems? Like it looked so bad.
1: Yeah. It was definitely a choice. He was making. It was
0: not a great choice uh, in a sea of weird choices. Like for years, I assumed that there would, there was a scene where he was at the piano and he was going, no, 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 which ended up not being the case.
1: His death also feels very unceremonious almost. Um, in a way that, like, literally, like, I I, I missed it. Like, I know that's really weird, but, like, I saw them sitting on the bed, and I was like, let me turn around and grab my water bottle. And then I, like, turned back, and he was packing his books up. And I was like, did he just die? Like, I was so confused. Yeah. Like, it was so unceremonious. I quite literally missed it while I was grabbing my water bottle. Like, I, I was shocked that, um, because I was assuming that maybe that loss would be a bigger deal for Caesar. But, I mean, ultimately, Caesar never really finds out about it. So, it doesn't really matter um unless i missed caesar finding out about it but yeah it's um he felt a little pointless by by the time his character dies because i'm like well he didn't he wasn't there to push caesar to be angry and sad that he lost his granddad and and i mean i know he's there basically to make james franco want to cure alzheimer's but i don't think you need to have like a personal connection to alzheimer's to want to cure it like i don't know yeah i don't know um I like having John Lithgow around. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, I was I was shocked by how kind of they just the movie kind of lets them fizzle away pretty pretty quietly. Right, Mackenzie, is it time? Should we pop some corn? Would you like to go? Or would you like me to go? I'll go first. Go, yeah.
0: I have to tell you, I think my theory about the apes creating a propaganda film. I think that we in our discussion have only laid the groundwork for this theory. So think about that. Um, I thought a lot about AI. This is another great film about humans doing things, thinking if they could do them and not, if they should do them in terms of the, what I call the think stink Uh, amazing five nights at Freddy's homage with everything that happens at night at the, (laughs) at the animal control jail, (laughs) a lot of roasting of Brian Cox's hair
1: oh the hair it's so weird seeing him with not like just gray hair those glasses he's wearing too, these weird like orange glasses were very funny um i talked about the homages
0: and setups i love when the horse comes back when when the police are ready and their station and then just a horse comes in because in the back of your mind you're like maybe you've seen posters and stuff mm-hmm. but in the back of your mind it's like did they learn how to ride the horses? (laughs) And then you get like the delayed, almost the edging of like, there's just a horse. And then yes,
1: yes, they are. And it's incredible. Coming through with the fist up that whole, I mean, yeah. Every time they did a shot, that was like one monkey. Rachel pointed this out to me and I fully agreed. Every time they did a shot, that was like one monkey and then like 12 monkeys. Like that was, that was so great. Like every time they did a cool, there was like 15 superhero entrances for these monkeys throughout this film. It was great. I want to call out as a corporate science
0: guy which is a very similar role to woman mm. in that they are the same role in every movie. David Ayello, um a wonderful actor who will talk about an awful lot on this show. Um is is good as the guy. It's a very similar role like uh, you know, if you've seen a movie called Source Code, Jeffrey Wright plays corporate science guy. It's a very similar role every time. It's very thankless material. But I think he did us a very good job within the framework of, you know, we have to think about profit.
1: His death is great. He has a great death scene. Yes, he has an amazing death where he's hanging out of the helicopter.
0: He's like, save me, save me. I forgot that that's what it was. And then he got in the helicopter. And I was like, yes.
1: It's a good death. He plays he plays a good, like, yeah, villainy character. It's good.
0: That's more or less my popcorn I do want to say, um, I think it's really cool to do a franchise where you're making something as like a prequel on its own in its very own way that isn't leaning too heavily on what's to come. And then also setting the seeds of it as if to say, will we make the planet of the apes at some point in the future? Or we could, um, hannibal for example the tv show Mm. would have led to adaptions of those books they never got they were just about to do it when they got canceled which is very frustrating (laughs) or maybe that's not so frustrating and it's good they never got to do it but i don't know but i whenever they do that it's cool it doesn't happen a whole lot um transformers tried to do that this year not successful but very successful here that is my popcorn it's all you kenzo
1: i don't got a lot of popcorn i i don't remember which part this was referring to but i wrote oh wow you're shocked that the creatures you kidnapped held captive and are experimenting on don't like you i'm sure that's the the the, the scientists but again the, the hypocrisy there from franco's character is interesting this idea of him being like how dare you hurt these animals and it's like what do you think you're doing literally with your day job um yeah you know it it plays into the theme of animal rights i'm sure i was reading a lot about how this adaptation leans less into that but this idea of race right is this huge kind of theme especially in the in the original one so i'd be interested to look at the other films and see how they lean into that but um yeah that, that animal rights stuff was popping out to me um again i didn't have a lot of notes that little baby monkey that little baby was so cute that tiny tiny little baby I, I love it so much. Um, <laughs> Do you ever watch... um, Did you ever watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I think I've asked you this like 15 times.
0: I didn't get far into it. It's not personal. I'm just... No, watched you're good
1: um there's a song called i go to the zoo that is rachel knight's probably favorite song of the entire series and it's kind of a um it's kind of a uh, all the songs in crazy ex if you haven't watched it are kind of spoofs of existing songs uh typically like a musical theater song like they have a trouble in river city riff but then they also like to riff on popular musicians and it's kind of a drake-esque song like a slow hip-hop sad boy song but it's about this guy who when he's down he goes to the zoo and Rachel and I are obsessed with it. And he has a line where he says, "I say hi to the monkeys. Their eyes look like my eyes." And uh, I think about that. I thought about that while I was watching this monkey, because <laughs> there's a th- I, I do have an innate anxiety about monkeys that like they are so close to us as humans. And they it can act so human sometimes that it does freak me out. And I'm sure that the whole concept of Planet of the Apes is playing on that fear that I have that, like, I'm sure other people have. of Like, there's so much like us. If we evolved, why can't they? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I was looking at that little baby and I was like, that just looks like a little baby. And then it and, and I, I fell into that hole. So now you all fell into it with me literally I have three notes the chips ahoy I don't think they were actually chips ahoy but him with these cookies made me laugh him just walking out and giving cookies as like shows of solidarity like like it just has a bag of chips ahoy somehow and is giving the other apes cookies it made me laugh and then I said chips ahoy and then Rachel I told her I would shout this out said chimps ahoy which gotta love it and I think right after that I wrote why is Caesar Norma Ray but for monkeys Unionize. Oh my God. It was unionizing oh my the God. monkeys. I mean, I guess, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> I don't. know. We're stronger together, Kev. Monkeys alone, weak. Monkeys together, strong. Union, strong, motherfucker. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Apes stupid. That's why I gotta <laughs> give them that think stink.
1: <laughs> so uh, support your local unions. Uh, and yeah, I actually, I mean, yeah, it's hard not to see the COVID vibes in the cliffhanger. But I thought the cliffhanger was great because it immediately, I love that the illness. Is, in, is there it's peppered in just enough to be interesting and it it doesn't um i do think that sometimes maybe even today they would go and now there's a fourth act about this illness and it's like no i don't need that even just the hint even if there was never another planet of the apes movie after this one that hint that this illness is going to eradicate humans is such a cool cliffhanger that like i think it's even even though it is a great cliffhanger and I have to assume it's going to be picked up in the next film, even if it was closed ended, I still think it's a really exciting ending. Um, this just this implication of what will happen to our earth. I, I thought it was great. I liked the cliffhanger a ton. I, I again, it's hard not to see the COVID, but they, they had literally no way of knowing that was ever going to be relevant in that way. So like, I'm not bothered by it.
0: Oh, yeah. Make no mistake at the time it was amazing. Like at the time when it wasn't clear that there would be more of these at all, it was a really clever way to be like, and that's how we get to planet of the apes.
1: I think it's clever. I loved it. Yeah. I really, I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. And the other movies also, it's like, sure. Things happen that would theoretically lead to the planet of the apes. But again, if, if it weren't, if there weren't a trilogy, if there wasn't a new one coming out, you wouldn't even need it because this ending is good enough and the dramatic irony the stomach churning of it mm. even without covid is just wild yeah i love it
1: it's great i mean those are all my popcorn notes again i didn't i didn't have a lot
0: So kind of moving on to final thoughts. I really loved this movie when it came out, and I still really like it. But now I will say I am seeing some of the flaws, like this Tom Felton performance and the way the movie kind of falls away for a while to make room for Tom Felton
1: Mm.
0: in the second act. I felt like I just didn't need it. But I still really enjoy it. So I'm going to give a great big shining orange heart and three and a half stars for this movie. I really enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Kenzo, it's all you yeah i mean hey I, I i agree it's not a perfect movie you know i i was thinking it's like hard for me to critique blockbusters because they're not a they're not a genre i think i i engage with a lot i was trying to think like maybe the last blockbuster that reminds me of this that we watched on the show was maybe transformers which obviously wasn't good sure. And i think this is leagues better than that film um yeah, I don't know. Blockbusters are an interesting are an interesting bird. I, I I don't watch them a lot, but they it is nice. They're they're perfect popcorn movies. Like this was a great popcorn movie. I can imagine sitting in the theater, having an awesome time with us. Because I still had a really great time at home. Um, I thought it was well paced. I thought the structure was really great. Like the they had a, such a distinct beginning, middle, and end. Which that sounds so silly because that's what all stories should be. But yeah, I, I loved the the opening of this childhood of Caesar especially now with the context that he is this major player in Planet of the Apes that people were coming, maybe fans of the series already knew if that makes sense. Like I'm assuming he, he's a major player. If you, if you like the series, you're coming to it expecting him. I love that. We start with his childhood. We get the sort of, um, him sort of slowly becoming uh, revolutionized. And then this amazing third act of the, the battle on the golden gate bridge. Like it was just such a great structure and, um, really exciting to watch and it has its issues, right? Like all the, the human performances don't quite super land for me. Um, but overall, I think it is a really interesting origin story. And I, I really think that the, um, Caesar's story and how much I loved that character pulled a lot of the weight and kept me really engrossed, uh, and made me really want to watch the rest of the, of the series. So I'm going to also go with three and a half. Um, because I really, really enjoyed this movie, but I want to give the series room to grow because I have an inkling that Caesar will be a bigger focus than he already was in the other films, maybe. And I, I can't wait to maybe enjoy those more when we're really focused in on that character I love. So yeah, three and a half stars. But this is really enjoyable, like genuinely enjoyable. I had a great time. I liked it way more than I thought I was going to like it. So yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Amazing. And like, I, I want to watch the rest. I'm like, let's go. Like, I want to see them.
0: I'm thrilled. This is great. This is great (laughs) news. All right. Ready to do our little show? Let's do our little show. I love gold. Gold. As you can imagine, a lot of the gold, the awards for Rise of the Planet of the Apes, are surrounding the motion capture and the special effects. Uh, The film was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Achievement in Visual Effects, but lost to Hugo.
1: Wow, okay.
0: Which is a choice. Uh, the other nominees Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2, Transformers Dark of the Moon, and the amazing future episode Real Steel. What is that? Real Steel is the Hugh Jackman robot boxing movie where, like, oh. he has to connect <laughs> with his son and they find a boxing robot. It's like people remote control boxing robots. It's kind All of right. a rock 'em sock 'em like robot. Sock'em robot? Okay. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, like rock 'em sock 'em robot? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It feels like the movie, version. like literally Hasbro was like, oh my God, we got to come up with one tomorrow. I love it. Uh, it's very good. The Florida Film Critics Circle Award did give this film best visual effects. At the Visual Effects Society Awards, this film won for outstanding animated character in a live action feature motion picture. The artists involved Daniel Barrett, Florian Fernandez, Matthew Muntine, and Eric Reynolds, most likely, I imagine, for Caesar. And uh, the team also won for ascending visual effects overall in a visual effects-driven motion picture. So congratulations for that. At the IGN Summer Movie Awards all right um this film won the ign award for best sci-fi movie and the people's choice award for best sci-fi movie as well uh andy circus placed ninth in the village voice film poll for best supporting actor in, the, in that year um and finally <laughs> and finally the 2011 winner of best film for the rando hatton classic horror awards so congratulations
1: Hey, you know, I'm seeing a lot of Andy Serkis noms too and I actually to say very deserved. Like he got into Critics Choice which feels really cool which you know Critics Choice is considered a an Oscar's predecessor, so that's that's kind of interesting. Like very deserved. He he really kills it in this and I think that motion capture actors are, are undervalued and and he is just one of the greatest uh so super deserved. Absolutely.
0: It's the key to this whole movie is that performance. And the reason that this movie doesn't look like crap today is because of the nuance and the detail in that performance. Mm -hmm. Next, it is time for the Alan Parsons Project, the segment every week where we tie the movie of the week into the Austin Powers trilogy. And this week, I will pull but four names. There's not much more than that. Starting off with Jay Caputo, who did stunts on Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me, and plays Alpha in this film. Fascinating nice. kind of career trajectory there. <laughs> Stunt rigger on Girls Trip and Quiz Lady. Oh, that's which you. just Came out. Um, the campaign with Will Ferrell. That's going to be a legendary episode for reasons.
1: <laughs>
0: a five-minute app. Uh, the trumpet player Rick Baptist, who will be returning for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. As well yeah. as Despicable Me 2, Men in Black 3, The Lorax, and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. We love a trumpet player. <laughs> Next, Tim Lauber from the music department. One of, His first credit on IMDb is a music recording assistant for The Spy Who Shagged Me. His second credit is Dudley Do-Right. This is a returning <gasps> link.
1: Wow, 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 wow,
0: wow. Just scrolling through, his credits include some of the best fil- like the most fascinating films of the 2000s. The Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis Lost Empire, Collateral, Spanglish, Cinderella Man, Fantastic Force. <laughs> King Kong, A Double Return. How do you like that? Dr. <laughs> Doolittle 3, future episode. Uh, finally, I, I want that. to call out Tim Steele in the music department scoring stage manager worked on austin powers in gold member as well as our film from this week as well as my super ex-girlfriend with eva longoria star trek into darkness life of Pi, and the maze runner directed by wes ball who will be directing kingdom of the planet of the apes which comes out in the spring
1: whoa wait isn't my super ex-girlfriend the uma thurman one with like Luke Wilson. No,
0: yes, yes. God, the super ex girlfriend of Uma Thurman, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past is Ava Longoria. Is that? Yes.
1: I thought that was Kate Hudson.
0: No, 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 no.
1: No, that's Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner's Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. No. I'm on IMDb. What movie? What's Ava Longoria? (laughs) What are you thinking of? What is this movie? Not to correct you on air, I only know my super ex-girlfriend because I, after Kill Bill, had a major Uma Thurman phase in high school. And I watched my super ex-girlfriend like 20 times on FX because it was like always on FX. And I was like, if my girlfriend was crazy Uma Thurman with superpowers, I would simply love her. Hang on.
0: The Ava Longoria movie is called Over Her Dead Body. The male lead is Paul Rudd. Jason Biggs and Lake Bell also star.
1: I think I see where you're where I understand where you're pulling this from. I understand where in your brain this was living.
0: It's because it's the ghost.
1: (gasps) Wendy McLendon Covey's in that. I do love her. There you go. Bridesmaids. When are we doing Bridesmaids? Wow.
0: One day. One day. One day. Maybe it could be next week. Who knows? Who could say? (gasps) Who knows? But that is the Alan Parsons project there you are
1: you're over there we have just one you over there daniel host of next issue and contributor to the i read comic book podcast and has written in before frequent frequent writer into adp has a uh, an email for us with the subject line The Love Guru a quick story. Hello ADP Nation. I'm writing to tell you guys my quick story of when I watched The Love Guru. So I've actually never seen the movie in full. Back when I was in college when this movie came out, I went to the theater with a girl <laughs> with a girl and we went to see the adaptation of Will Eisner The Spirit. What is that? Oh
0: yeah, that's the Frank Miller Frank Miller directed a movie called The Spirit. We will talk it's a future oh. episode
1: okay okay it's like it's like supposed to
0: be like an old comic book and i actually haven't seen it but people say it was not good
1: okay i'll I'll, oh sam jackson's in it okay yeah oh okay okay it's giving sin city vibes
0: visually maybe yeah it's absolutely like frank miller was on the set of sin city and was like i would like to make a film (laughs)
1: love it uh so they were seeing um the spirit uh Danny continues, uh, because even back then I was very much into comic book adaptations. A couple of friends at the time wanted to go with us, but they did not want to watch a comic book movie. And the only thing playing around the same time was love guru. Oh my gosh. These friends, they made the worst decision of their lives. The spirit film to say, uh, the spirit film was not great at all, which was unfortunate, but since their movie started a bit later, we went ahead and joined them about halfway through the love guru. Let me tell you, I remember about nothing other than the Mariska Hargitay bit, so this had to have been one of the worst days of me going to the theater to watch really bad movies. Also, things didn't really work out with the girl, so overall, very much a bummer day. All this to say, your viewing experience could have been worse with The Love Guru, and if you'll ever do Yes Man, I have another story with the same person involved. Take care, Daniel.
0: Oh my god. Yes Man. When? What are we doing? Th- yes,
1: man. I think I've seen that. Or I mean, forever ago. Like not in a way that I'd remember, but I, I vaguely know. Yes, man. Yes, man. One day. Yes, man. One day one day but that is all we have in terms of our use over there so if you would like to be over there you can email us at austin at gmail.com your letters your voicemails we will share them on the show they can be about love guru they can be about rise of the planet of the apes they can be about whatever we're watching next week but as long as you either tag your reviews on letterbox with austin danger pod or podcast we look for them all or send your letters and voicemails to austin podcast at gmail.com that's how you get your voice heard, baby. And we love getting your letters. It makes our day. That's right. Kev, let's do this. It's always fun when I remember I'm not the one spending the wheel. And I get to <laughs> just be excited and see whatever happens.
0: It's It's a big relief, isn't it? To realize you're not the one that has to like manically write the synopsis at eight twenty nine p.m. on the <laughs> Wednesday.
1: Oh, that was me today. Yes, uh, <laughs> but uh, Kev, see, let's let's see what movie you're going to be manically writing the synopsis to next week.
0: Do you remember we were we were talking? Somebody in our beloved seventy millimeter community shared a collage, like a great big mural on the wall of their movie theater. <gasps> Do you remember that the other day? This
1: better be what I think it is.
0: And this mural was really funny. Um, just to describe it,
1: I. I am wringing my little hands together. I'm I I hope it's what I think it is.
0: So, so the um could you imagine I'm shaking? The, so the mural from right to left is like it's Julia Roberts, Will Smith from Men in Black holding the gun, um, Mel Gibson, like the iconic people from like the mid-90s in film. Mm-hmm. One of the most prominent people in this mural is like an almost brand new actress who really would take the world by storm throughout the 90s and early 2000s culminating in an academy award win for the film monsters ball right did she win the oscar for monsters ball
1: yes she did very famously um one of the few women of color to actually win in that category i believe
0: uh yeah Well, look, before she won the Academy Award for Monsters Ball, there was her performance as Sharon Stone in one of the great surrealist nightmares of the 90s. That's right. Next week on Austin Danger Podcast, we are ringing in the month of December with Fred Wilma, Barney, Betty, and the Flintstones.
1: I knew it as soon as you brought that up I said there's like eight Flintstones characters in that mural there's no way this movie isn't the Flintstones. It's Mel Gibson from
0: Braveheart next to Sharon Stone from the live action Flintstones Flintstones, which even back then would be a stretch like the mask right would probably even Cameron Diaz in the mask would be like a more apt thing to put on a giant mural.
1: Look, here's the thing. I actually, for some reason, do not have this movie logged on Letterboxd yet, but I do have the sequel, The Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas, logged on Letterboxd. I have that at three stars and a fat big heart, baby. I fucking love the Flintstones movies. I haven't watched this one in a while, but famously, I always used to say my favorite films are live action adaptations of children's cartoons, uh, including but not limited to the Scooby-Doo films, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Inspector Gadget, and the Flintstones films. This, this is some of my favorite... When I was in college, this is what people knew me for. This is some of my favorite genre filmmaking ever. I am so excited we're doing this.
0: My last review of this is from June of 2021. I wrote Postmodern Vomit.
1: <laughs> Yo. I can't believe I have to five-star fucking Flintstones next week. Kev, I'm sending you something right now literally um, I had t- Twitter pulled up in another tab. I clicked over and this was the top of, I'm not kidding you. This was the top of my Twitter timeline from a great account I recommend everyone uh, called Consumer Time Capsule. It is a literally a old promotional meal for the Flintstones movie they posted in honor of Thanksgiving. The Grand Poobah supersized meal and on the fries is, a, is John Goodman's face. What I wouldn't give to eat the Grand Poobah meal right now.
0: Not only that, but it's a McRib meal. Which it's is a, a big deal.
1: And it's because f- of because it's Fred, because he eats ribs. The McRib is back. The McRib is back and it's supersized with the Grand Poobah. Oh, I can't wait to watch this. I feel like you and I are John Goodman lovers, I feel like, in this in this in our friendship.
0: That's a bit of an understatement. I think that with the right year with the right picks, you know, every year when we're throwing together our uh, Austin, well, sorry, when we're meticulously organizing the Austin Awards, we we go through the list of movies we've covered and we try to pick. People who stick out, people who we talk about a lot, to become legends. I think with the right year, John Goodman, if he's not already in the Hall already, because <laughs> Lord knows I don't know those off the top of my head.
1: <laughs> I don't think he is, but he he is definitely primed. A primo should be in the Hall of Fame one day. I do love the with John year we
0: Goodman. do true stories, and or raising done Arizona. Lebowski, we did Lebowski, last we did year. Lebowski.
1: Yeah. Oh man, if we do Oh Brother, Where Art Thou. That's a great Goodman performance. Correct. And he, I mean,
0: I think he's great in Flintstones as I know in think my he's review great here, Flintstones. he almost goes full Gleason in, in a, in a couple of bits in the
1: film. And I think that's great. <gasps> speed racer episode. Yeah. Coyote ugly. He's in coyote ugly, a deep McKinsey lore film.
0: I didn't know John Goodman was in coyote ugly. That's
1: pretty good. He's lit. Piper Perabo's dad. He's a literal main character in coyote ugly. Piper. She's always trying to get him to eat lean Cuisines in the movie. That tells you the vibe. Ah,
0: <laughs> oh, sounds like I'm gonna love that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're watching Funstones next week. Yama Dama Doo! But until then, from McKenzie, this is Kev, Austin Danger Podcast Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, McKenzie.